we all get stuck in what we should do or what we should have done. The word should can inspire us and it can inhibit us. It can get us moving and it can hold us back. Why is it so hard to move past complacency and get inspired to build the fulfilling future that we want? You are listening to Should Theory. Let's talk it out. Stories, interviews, and more to inform and inspire you towards building the future that you want. Get motivated, figure out how you want to shift, and then get your shift together. I'm Tara Grebe. Let's do this with the Should Theory. and welcome to this episode of Should Theory. I am Tara Grebe, always happy to have you joining us to hear some great stories. And today I have Michelle May with me. She is bringing something to this show that is a completely different path of life than we've had before. And so I'm really excited to hear her story. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great, Tara. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I am a retired family physician and a recovered yo-yo dieter. Ah. So I've got a, a lot of background that I can share with you about that, but I think this is really a story of uh, following your passion and listening to your instincts about where to go. Absolutely. And it, and it just goes to show that, you know, it's not necessarily just about making changes in your life towards career relationship, but... Uh, in your health, and so many other ways. So can you bring us back to where you were when um, you were, I'm assuming it was back when you were a physician, but back to the time where you said, you know, something's missing, something's not quite right, I need to do something a little different. Yeah, you know, I, I love your podcast, and I as I think about it, I, I think there's really two big shifts that happened for me. So the first big shift happened way before I was actually practicing medicine. Um, Well, it it happened while I was practicing medicine, but it was unrelated. So I had started dieting as a teenager. I had a lot of body image challenges, as many teens do, and Mm kind of went through that whole process of on the diet, off the diet, on the diet, off the diet. I did that in high school, college, and into medical school. And I was still doing it when I started my medical practice. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, it's so common, right? The thing that surprised me, really two things. One was I discovered how many of my patients were doing the same exact thing. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, I thought I just didn't have enough willpower, I hadn't found the right diet, or the timing wasn't right, even though I had somehow managed to get through medical school, I didn't seem able to stick to a diet. And so that was a surprise to me. And then the second surprise was when I had my own children and watched Mm -hmm. them eat, oh, they had this pure, beautiful, natural relationship with food. And I wanted that. And I, it was really the first time that I thought, you know, I bet I was born that way too. I bet at one point in my life, I could manage my eating just fine without all of this, you know, looking things up and writing things down. Yeah. Really those two pieces led me to decide that dieting wasn't the answer for me or for my patients. Mm -hmm. So I stopped dieting and really shifted the entire way I think about food. And that was really, I mean, at its simplest, it was based on 
on how children eat. You know, this idea that we eat when we're hungry because we need fuel. We stop when we're full because if we don't, we're going to feel uncomfortable and we won't be able to play and, mm-hmm. and jump and grow and explore and learn. And really that, that food wasn't my enemy, that I could eat what I loved and I could relearn how to love what I ate and not spend so much time thinking about what I should and shouldn't eat. Mm. And, you know, what a great example of the shoulds right there, what I should and shouldn't eat, you know. And, and again, um, just another huge example about how sometimes those shoulds don't necessarily have to be about um, huge, I don't want to say huge life changes because what you eat is huge with regard to your life, but, you know, so many people have misconceptions that it's just a word that has an effect on your path that you choose, but really we should ourselves all the time on so many things. You know, I should buy this product. I shouldn't buy that product. I should um, do this activity. I shouldn't do that activity. I should marry this guy. I shouldn't marry that guy. So, you know, we do it in so many areas. It's the other thing I can say with food in particular is that when we tell ourselves I shouldn't eat that, what we're actually doing is putting it up on a pedestal. And of course, we have to think about it all the time in order to avoid eating it. Like I've got to right. avoid the break room where the cupcakes are. I've got to mm. from that restaurant. I shouldn't go do this or go do that. And so we end up putting certain foods up on a pedestal and then we make other foods permissible. And so they become kind of diety foods. And so we mm. end up in this struggle between what we want and what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And that struggle actually, especially where food is concerned, but I've act, one of the reasons I loved this idea of talking with you is because mm-hmm. I found so many parallels to our relationship with food, to how we show up in life. I yes. always tell my clients, how you do anything is how you do everything. Yes. And so when we deprive ourselves of the foods that we love, we have to spend a lot of time thinking about them. We start to develop cravings. We start to feel restricted and deprived. And so eventually when we feel stressed out or overly hungry or that food shows up at a special occasion, we eat it. And then because we shouldn't eat it, we say, oh, I've blown it. And so we keep yeah, eating it yourself. or thinking we're going to, go back on our diet tomorrow. And so it creates this cycle that I call the eat, repent, repeat cycle. And I love that. I have to take a minute, and I know you said it, um, but it really bears repeating, (laughs) which is, you know, that, that cycle that we do and now you you were talking about it with related to with relationship to food I shouldn't eat this then you do or you see the food you think about the food all the time then maybe you do eat it and how you guilt yourself I would put that to you know you need to make a change maybe you're unhappy in your job you see this path that you wish you could take you think about it all the time you can't be happy in the job that you're in because you're constantly thinking about the other that's calling to you. And then when you do step foot slightly the other way, you go, no, 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 I should stay put and be satisfied with what I have. It's so similar, so similar. So it really lends itself to what you just said, which is what we do in one area of our life is really a pattern that we repeat in so many other places. So you were talking about how you saw 
your own children's healthy relationship with food and you knew you needed to make a change. So what was that process from when you had that epiphany or you had that realization to starting to make that shift for yourself a reality? Yeah, that was a long process actually. And it and I didn't do that in isolation, which is one of the reasons I've made the other big shift in my life, which is to teach other people mm-hmm. how to teach this and, and share this and coach people around it. But it really was a process of relearning to listen to and trust hunger and my own body wisdom. And the other piece that came out of that is that what I, what I realized is that oftentimes when I thought I was hungry, what, what was really happening is I was bored or stressed or overwhelmed or trying to be perfectionistic over something. Mm. And it was, again, one of these areas where I had this huge aha that it was never about the food. And once I realized that I had the instinctive ability to know when, when my body needed fuel and when it had had enough, it created a whole bunch of space for me to actually recognize all my other needs that I had been trying to meet with food Mm. or not food. If I could, you know, if I could add that, because sometimes I find a lot of the people that I work with, it's not just eating, emotional eating that they may think they struggle with, but sometimes it's, it's trying to restrict and control their food and their body as a way of trying to control their lives when they yes. feel like they're not. Yes. And I, I agree with that a hundred percent. You know, it's, um, it's something that I see manifest with a lot of people that I talk to in that, um, you know, they're so frustrated with their current position or their current status in life and it manifests uh, in being short with others, short temper, gruff, um, or just dejected. So you're, you're not in not feeding that part of you. And I use that pun on purpose, but in not feeding that part of you that you need to be feeding, you're depriving the people that love you of the best you that you can possibly give to them. And, uh, what a strong message that is. What a strong message. It's really so, powerful because you know how many people in our culture are on one diet after another. Yeah. And- really how much time, energy, money, and, and anguish is wasted around something that we were born knowing how to do. Now, maybe we didn't always know how to meet our other needs, our emotional needs, but that can be learned too. Right. And so once people recognize that it's not about finally getting on a diet and sticking with it, but it's really about learning how to trust and listen to themselves, mm. it's it's an incredible shift in the way that they focus their energy. I love that. So talk a little bit more about your personal shift and, and that process. So two things happened. So as I said, one of them was to stop dieting and to start really trusting myself to know when I needed food and when I needed something else. And by the way, let me say that that doesn't mean that I don't sometimes eat when I'm not hungry sure. or eat purely for pleasure or, mm-hmm. or comfort. I mean, that's part of normal eating. What it was really about was moving away from this idea that somebody outside of myself knew better than me about right. how to take care of myself. So I like to think that this is really an inside out approach that we're mm-hmm. really learning how to, to pay attention to the signals, the information that we're constantly getting from our body. 
you know, and, and again, to go back to the analogy, it, when your gut is clenched and you don't feel like you're, you want to go to work or you don't want to do what you're supposed to be doing, that's your body giving you information yeah. about that situation. But yeah. how many of us just stuff it down and ignore it mm-hmm. and not pay attention to it? So learning to listen to that gut instinct has been a really powerful part of this process for me and many of the people I work with. I'm interrupting this awesome episode because I have to bring out something that I think we've all felt that I have felt. And it's that gut feeling that something in your life is missing, that there's got to be something else out there for you. And guess what? It is so hard to ignore. We tell ourselves, I shouldn't shift. I should be happy with what I have. And generally, there are signs showing us that a major change is needed in our life. But we talk ourselves into ignoring them. Here's the thing. Those feelings are going to keep showing up over and over in different ways until you get the guts to pay attention to them and decide to make a shift. And once you make that decision, people need support to shift. They need confidence. They need clarity. I did. And I would love to support you so that you can do the same. Right now, I have two amazing options of Get Your Shift Together to help you get the confidence, the clarity, and the direction that you need to make that shift in your life that your gut is telling you it's time to make. And if you want to know more about them, you have to go to taragreeve.com or message me on the Should Theory with Tara Grieve Facebook page, and we will get you moving to the shift that you know it's time for you to make. So what were some of the things you did to get yourself to that point? Because I think, you know, recognizing that that's what you're doing is certainly half the battle, but then the other half of the battle is breaking that habit, if you will. So what were some of the things that you did uh, for yourself that you now transfer to the people that you work with? Well, one of them is to shift away from being judgmental about everything, (laughs) about myself, (laughs) about food, about other people, about... So really I replaced, for the most part, I mean, this is always a work in progress, but really work on replacing judgment with curiosity. Hmm. What's happening? Yeah. So in the old days when I, uh, and for by now it's been a very long time since I've been on a diet, I've been free of that for, for a long time. But back in the old days, if I wanted to eat something, I would start, you shan't, you shouldn't eat that. That's right. bad. You know, what's going on? Why are you doing that? You should have self-control. There was so much judgment or judgment even toward the food. You know, that's a bad food. I'm not allowed to have that. So there's a lot of brain energy being spent on that. Now, if I feel like eating, I just get curious about it. Oh, this is interesting. I feel like eating. Hmm. Am I actually even hungry? That's the name of my company is Am I Hungry? Right? Right. right. <laughs> that is such a simple way of tuning to the inside. Am I actually hungry? Is it, is it food that I need right now? And I can tell when I need food because my stomach is growling, my energy's low, I get a little hangry, harder mm-hmm. to focus. Is it food I need right now? Or if there are none of those symptoms, then what is going on right now? Well, I'm bored of what I'm doing. I've been at this computer for two hours and I haven't taken a break. Or I need a little fun. Or I'm feeling overwhelmed or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So simply learning to pause and be curious about what's happening and to check in. Uh, We teach a body, mind, heart scan. 
checking mm-hmm. in with physical sensations, checking in with thoughts, checking in with feelings. It can take 10 minutes or it can take just a split second, but it's the, the important piece is the pause of just noticing what's happening right now, accepting and allowing whatever shows up. And then once I have all that information, then making a decision. I love that. Accept what shows up and then make a decision. Uh, how huge is that? Because I think just the statement of accepting what shows up uh, is difficult for a lot of people. Mm, it, it is. It is. And of course, it's interesting to me that a lot of the people I work with are really, like myself, very successful in other areas of their lives. Mm-hmm. But there's this one little thing that they're struggling with, you know, this this eating thing that they're struggling with. When you really dig in, it's it's as if the things that got them to a place of success in their in their business or personal life is now getting in the way of them being able to manage their eating effortlessly and joyfully mm. because they're trying to control it all and they're trying to be good and they're trying not to be bad and you know feeling guilty all the time. So, uh, one of the analogies that I use here is it's the difference. Oftentimes, many of us struggle uh, with trying to control everything, trying to control the situation. Right. So we're not accepting what shows up. We're trying to manage it, manage other people, manage ourselves. And then we vacillate from that all the way to feeling out of control. And with mm-hmm. food, that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty um, easy distinction to see. So we move from in control, out of control, in control, out of control. This process is not about either of those. It's about being in charge. And being in charge means I, I have awareness of all the different factors that are going on here, and I'm simply making a decision based on that information. Mm-hmm. There's no determined set of rules or shoulds that I should follow. Right. It's me showing up moment by moment and deciding how I'm going to choose now. Isn't that interesting? And also um, that need to to control, and as you said, moving back and forth, controlling and managing. And really, um, I think when we do that the most is really when we're in the least amount of control. You know, we feel like we're in control, but really having that back and forth, that almost desperate grasp um, is really a symbol of being the most out of control in all that we have going on. I agree. I completely agree. And of course, you know, that, that can lead to feelings of frustration and, and kind of looking at yourself as being flawed or somehow wrong or bad. Again, you know, we, we tend to kind of internalize this stuff when really it's just that we're taking an approach that isn't effective. We are never in control of any situation. Things can always change moment by moment. And so this approach to eating, but more important to living, Mm -hmm. is about flexibility. It's about showing up, noticing what's happening, being curious about it, accepting and allowing whatever is there, and then making decisions based on that place. And isn't isn't that really the elixir of life, what you just said? (laughs) And and seemingly easy to say, and for others, yeah, but... I can, that sounds great, but, you know, 
I need my ice cream and I, I need to keep income from this job that doesn't make me happy. And so therefore that sounds great, but, and I think that realization that, that is so crucial for people to, to embrace, which is, uh, while we can't control the external, we can control what we do about it. And, and how I, we approach I, it. I prefer in charge of the internal because I love that word control just for me at being an ex-dieter and ex-perfectionist I just cringe because I just know what that what that symbolizes for me but being in charge that I can do yes that I can do I like that I talk about uncovering your inner badass uh, which is really just getting that confidence and then you know I always talk about everybody is a leader you know you may not have an actual position or title of leadership. You may not be the president of something or the CEO of something or the manager of something, but you lead and manage things every single day. You're a leader in things that you do every single day. And I think so that in charge. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so, so saying what you're saying about being in charge of your decisions, of your body, of yourself is really just such a great way to put it. Well, and it also it also means that if you want ice cream at night, that night in that evening, fine, have it. When we're trying to control, it's like I can't have ice cream at night. That's bad. And so, because we're trying to control that, when we do have a bowl, we're like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and have a second bowl, and then it'll be gone, and then I won't have any tomorrow. Like, so between that, you know, in control, out of control, Mm -hmm. charge simply means. I'm having a bowl of ice cream tonight and tomorrow, if I don't want one, I don't have one. And if I do, I do, but I'm not making the decision in advance. Now that's scary to people because as you said, you know, we have this long pattern of doing it the other way. Many people don't realize that with food, the the attempt to control it all those years actually is what caused them to not be able to stop after one bowl. I like to say that when guilt is no longer a factor, common sense prevails. Mm. And I'm sure that's also true in what we're talking about in terms of people making a shift in their personal or professional life. When people are making decisions based on shoulds and guilt, they feel resentful and, and, and not in alignment, not authentic to themselves. And so when, when we can get rid of that guilt... And really just trust and have confidence that we will know the right decision for ourselves at the time, then we can move forward. And lo and behold, gosh, you know, that was not nearly as, as hard as I thought it would yeah. be. In and, fact, and I, how many, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, and how many decisions do we probably make out of guilt or obligation? Yeah. And how does that work out? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So I want to... Um, just focus back for a second on, on, you know, you've shared so many things about what you do for others. And I know woven through that story has been that, you know, you did it for yourself first so that in turn you could do that for other people. But can you talk a little bit about in that evolution, for lack of a better word, your journey or your success, I guess, um, as you yourself, as you said, as a recovered yo-yo dieter, made these realizations and then implemented them for your own self? Yeah, I think, um, I, and again, it's weird because I, 
I kind of don't like the word success anymore either mm-hmm. because the opposite of success is failure. Right. What I've really discovered for my, and, and that, that kept me paralyzed for a good portion of my earlier life. You know, if I wasn't going to be successful, then, then that meant I would be failing. And if I was mm. going to fail, then that means that people wouldn't like me or think, well, you know, I had this whole, whole bunch of, bunch of shoulds around all that. All right. right. And so once I realized that the, that it's not success and failure, it's learning, it's progress. It's, it's figuring out what doesn't work. That was a huge shift for me, not just with food, but with everything in my life. And so the other big shift that occurred for me is at some point after I started, I was doing this for myself first, started teaching workshops on my half day off. As I said before, I was a family doctor. I was seeing patients full time, had two young children. And on my half day off, I would spend a couple hours teaching workshops. Mm-hmm. And then people started referring people to me for that. And then I started speaking at conferences about what we were doing that was so different from what everybody else was doing and, and the, the benefits of that. And at some point, I kind of realized that I had worked my way into two full-time jobs. I now had this medical practice right. and teaching these and, and writing and, and speaking about this mindful eating approach. That and resonates so, with me very loudly as you say that right. sentence. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> what happens, right? And then one day you have to make a choice. And for me, I realized that as much as I loved medicine and my patients, that there was nobody else really doing what I was doing. Right. And, and that really my, my long history of, of disordered eating and, and my medical background and, and my love of writing and speaking, all of these things, all of a sudden were pointing in one direction. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was what I needed to do. So I eventually did leave medicine completely uh, much to my parents' dismay that I was just not- going to say, <laughs> yes, you know, because, you know, doctors, being a doctor is up there, doctor, lawyer, that's success, right? And so, I, the word you don't like, so, um, well, you know, but was it, that, go ahead. Yeah. yeah, well, that's it, right? I mean, that was, that was the whole thing. It was mm-hmm. something that was going to look successful. Yeah. Was that a, um, shock for your your family your husband and everyone as you're saying like hey so i'm not going to doctor anymore (laughs) you know this regular career is not going to exist anymore yeah my parents said so you're not going to be a doctor anymore i'm like no i'm still a doctor i earned my mp i i will not be seeing patients in the sense anymore and and the obviously the fear associated with that, but the sheer relief and excitement about mm. moving towards something that just, it, it was like, it was all just perfectly aligned. And that was exactly what I should be doing with my life. I love and hearing that. They focused on that and, you know, kind of stay away from the fear side of it. And focus on the excitement because aren't those pretty much the same sensations they really are the same sensation and i think it's you know no growth comes from a place of comfort it just doesn't and so uh, i've heard time and time again people say that even though their next step wasn't solidified or lucrative or i don't want to say validated excuse my voice but um that when 
they realized that they knew they had to make that change and they made the decision to walk away from the safe thing or the comfortable thing, mm -hmm. that the, the sensation of freedom far outweighed the sensation of fear or failure. 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. And, and, and you know that, right? Like this is again, part of trusting your gut, yeah. your, your body constantly gives you information about what it, what's going on inside. And so when, when we can listen and so, gosh, I, you know, this feels exciting. It's scary, but it's so exciting to, to, you know, tap into my inner badass, as you said, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's hard to feel alive when you're complacent. Yes. Yes. You know, it's hard mm -hmm. to feel alive when you're complacent. And when you feel nervous or excited, it's a reminder that you are a living, thriving being. And that I think that's huge. So let me ask you this question. Um, you know, we've talked about the shoulds that you have overcome, but certainly we all have those ones that, that still loom and get us or get the best of us. So for you, what is a negative should that as you're progressing now and, and building the life that, that you knew uh, got you all sparked, um, what negative shoulds do still come and haunt you now and then? Oh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than a lot of the people that might be in, in the, this position at, mm -hmm. at my point in life here. And so, you know, I, I, I love, connecting with people on social media and things, but I just don't have that drive to spend all day creating right. videos and things, content. Yeah. content and stuff. So I, I get a lot of, I, I it probably internalized shoulds about mm -hmm. what I should be doing in social media when what I really love is connecting with people directly. You know, mm -hmm. when I'm one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching, or when I'm running a retreat, even virtually, I mean, this, this pandemic has been a huge opportunity to really bump up the number of people we've been able to con you know, work with over, yeah. over retreats virtually. I'm just on fire. Like I just, it, I just can't get enough of it because I can see the transformation taking place right before my eyes. I don't get that in social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's my gut saying, well, maybe you should do, but then how do you, how do you keep things filled if you're not? Right. It's the draw of feeling relevant versus feeling yeah. connected. And I think yeah. that's, that's a struggle for a lot of people. Now, what about positive shoulds? Those th I think you alluded to it just now, but positive shoulds that, you know, get you up and moving and, and keep it, keep driving. Um, I really have a much more clarity about what brings me joy. Mm -hmm. And so it's about balance in my life. It's about having connections with friends and family members. It's about having time to um, play pickleball and go hiking and do yoga. And my husband's a professional chef, so I get to enjoy mm -hmm. really fabulous food. And, you know, those are things that for me, I call it a self-care buffer zone. Yeah. If I can, if I can keep my focus on having enough time and, and energy to build that self-care buffer zone, then I can handle pretty much anything else that comes my way. Absolutely. So that, uh, I, I don't even call it a should because it, 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 it's so 
self-perpetuating and rewarding that I, I find the time to do those things because I love it could be, you could, you should maintain clarity on what brings you joy. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Now, um, knowing what you know now and looking back to, um, before you had these realizations, what advice would you give to Michelle from back then? Well, the little girl, Michelle, the teenager who started dieting and hated her body, I would, I would remind her that bodies come in all shapes and sizes and that health and beauty come in all shapes and sizes and that I didn't need to try to fit some mold to be okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't hear that. Um, and it took many, many years to get that message through. I love that. Um, For the adult Michelle, I think um, I probably, I hate to say this, but I probably wouldn't have gone to medical school. I probably would have become a psychologist instead. Mm -hmm. That's what I really love. And it's, I don't practice psychology now, but my undergrad degree in psychology has served me well in this work because so much of what I do is about helping people really get in touch with their emotions and thoughts and trying to redirect that. I love that. And then um, sort of as an offshoot to the advice question, what would you say is the best advice that you have ever gotten that you still use or that still resonates with you today? Trust yourself. Mm. Trust yourself. Yeah. Simple and yet difficult, isn't it? Oh, so difficult. I mean, our culture teaches us to measure up to the outside, this outside in approach. It's, it's where we get our body shame from. It's where we get our striving and driving to make more and be more and have more. And that, that outside in approach really drives us away from the true joy that comes from being connected to what really makes you happy and how you can serve other people and, and, you know, be in balance. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so Michelle, if you have people intrigued, which I'm guessing you do, uh, how can they find you and work with you? Probably the simplest way is to go to amihungry.com. So A-M-I-H-U-N-G-R-Y.com. Right on that first page, there's tons of free resources. If you scroll all the way down to the bottom, you can download the first chapter of Eat What You Love, Love What You Eat, which is the first book in my book series. That free chapter will help you look at your own relationship with food and understand if if anything, if you could relate to any part of my story about struggling with, you know, the eat, repent, repeat cycle, mm-hmm. that chapter will help you understand why. And we'll help you figure out whether this is perhaps a different option rather than going back on another diet. Because don't be fooled. A different diet is still a diet. Right. <laughs> you want as many diets as you want, but it's going to lead you back to the same cycle. It's about realizing that that approach doesn't work at all and that you can relearn to trust yourself. And I would relate that to some of the other topics, which is you can avoid making the changes that are calling to you, but they're just going to keep coming back until you actually listen to them. So isn't it funny how similar um, these two, I don't want to even call them paths, but things that we are faced with, you know, we all eat (laughs) and we all choose how we live our lives. 
and, and the similarities really are quite striking. I do like to um, go back through our conversation and highlight some of the really um, wonderful things that you've said that it certainly stood out to me and I know um, will stand out to our listeners as, as strong points that you made. Um, first, I would say it's the struggle that you recognize between what we want and what we're supposed to do. Um, and then you talked about that eat, repent, repeat cycle, which definitely a lot of us do and I think can also be transferred to the fill-in-the-blank, change, eat to whatever you want. Work, repent, repeat, you know, uh, date, repent, repeat, whatever it is that, yeah. that works for you. And that cycle is certainly one that I think we all fall into. But um, for you, relearning to trust hunger and realizing that it was masking itself as a lot of other things rather than uh, just flat out hunger and that it was never really about food in the first place. Um, and learning, people learning how to trust themselves. You talked about uh, making a shift from being judgmental and replacing judgment with curiosity, which I think is such a great um, comment and such a great thing for all of us to pay attention to. And also your message to accept what shows up and then you make a decision rather than trying to control what shows up. That mm -hmm. was really a, a huge learning moment for me in this conversation. Um, my favorite quote that you said all and throughout the whole thing was, when guilt is no longer a factor, common sense prevails. That really struck me. Um, and the advice that you would give your old self, which I think a lot of our listeners need to hear, is bodies, health, and beauty come in all shapes and sizes, and you don't have to fit the mold for yours to be amazing. Um, and finally, your advice to just trust yourself. So simple and yet so challenging, but I know that people can do it. I have been so intrigued talking to you today, Michelle, and I knew it was going to be an interesting conversation, but I have thoroughly loved all that I've learned just in the time that we've been talking. I know I'm going to go to your website and check it all out. Um, anything else you want to say to our listeners as we wrap up today? Uh, you know, I think maybe one other important lesson for all of us is small steps are yes. best. And so if, if you're just not sure about this, just start by asking yourself, am I hungry the next time you feel like eating? Just see what shows up. Be curious. Notice that. whether you're getting signals of, of your body needing fuel or whether your body's trying to tell you something else that you might need at that time, whether it's a glass of water or rest or a break or a hard conversation or whatever it is. I think we can start small and we don't have to, we don't have to go from zero to, to 80 in, in a split second. I love that. Michelle, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your wisdom with us today. I know the people will definitely appreciate it. I certainly do. And if you appreciate all of the things that you've heard on Should Theory along the way, I would encourage you to rate and leave a review because certainly that helps us get out to more people who need to hear us. And I 